Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the show. Trailblazing educator, sexologist, artist and irritant to banality, Midori founded Rope Dojo and Forte Femme, Women's Dominance Intensive. She penned the first English instruction book on Shibari, Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage, in 2001, paving the way to the popularity of rope. Dan Savage calls her the supernova of kink, while others affectionately call her Auntie Midori for her cool, tell-it-like-it-is, funny, reality-based teaching. Midori is the co-director of Curriculum for Kink-Informed Education, part of the Sexual Health Alliance, training therapists and helping professionals to provide safe, compassionate and inclusive service to their clients. She is a recipient of the 2022 Humanitarian Award from the American Association of Sex Educators, Therapists and Counselors, AASECT, and 2022 Effing Foundation Grant, along with having honoured with the sainthood by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. She is the author of Wild Side Sex, Master Hand's Daughter and Silk Threads. Learn, laugh and enjoy her special online classes, events and art at patreon.com forward slash planet Midori, where she's working on her next Shibari book. Hi Midori, welcome on the Rope Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Such a pleasure. To get us started Midori, can you tell us how you discovered rope bondage in the first place? Okay, so, long story, I'm trying to make it sensible. Um, Let's generalize it into kink first. Mm -hmm. Sometimes asked about, you know, when did you come out to kink, and when did you know you were kinky? Um, It didn't occur to me until probably I was in my early 30s that people had to come out into kink. Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, experimental, like trying like trying interesting food, trying different sex. It didn't have the concept that this was a separate thing. Okay. Yeah, messing around, you know, and and try this, try that. It was fun. I didn't I didn't have books to read. We were just experimenting and when I was when I was like in college, right after college. Um so I I didn't so much come out as I just thought I just thought everybody did kind of fun, creative stuff, and they were just polite enough not to talk about it. Mm. I was my surprise to discover that, oh, it's not just that people are polite, you know, because it's not polite to talk about sex mm. and politics at, say, a dinner table, right? So, uh, and I think that's kind of a Japanese thinking of you don't 
talk about these things. Okay. And yeah, uh, so there's that. So put put a pin in that one. Growing up in Japan, uh, I certainly watched a lot of uh, period or you know the sword sword fighting movies. Uh huh. The Seven Samurai kind of thing. Well, no, they were more like half-hour TV series. Okay. Uh, like all over in the way that that Americans would watch westerns, and there would be like cheesy westerns and John Ford excellent westerns and and Bonanza <laughs> and like that. There were all these TV shows and movies that were set in like the early, uh, late 19th century or Edo period, and someone was always getting tied up. Hmm. You know, the villain captured, the innocent guy hero getting captured by the villains. Also existed on uh, Kabuki stage, so there's that the exposure to a cultural nostalgia that included restrained peoples, uh, and not in a sexual context, but it was you know in the back of my mind because it's in front of my face. Hmm. And the nostalgia to a period which may or may not have existed in the ways depicted as well, right? Like westerns. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, a bit of a legend mixed with some historical elements yeah. in it. My my white grandmother was actually from an American pioneer family, mm-hmm. and she would watch Little House on the Prairie, and she would talk about it wasn't like that. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. like. So yeah, there's a nostalgia of it, and then there's also like the the cultural representation of people captured, but it still wasn't quite sexual. It was like oh, yeah, there was something deep in the back of my child mind that I was like, ooh, interesting. I don't know why it's interesting, but it's interesting. I also liked playing, uh, when I could talk my friends into playing make-believe games where I was like the samurai lord or I was the, the spy boss or whatever. Apparently, I liked being in the boss mode. <laughs> All right, so there's that. And then uh, I grew up surrounded by a lot of Traditional folk craft, high mm-hmm. tea or koto, but but how say a sandal would be woven, and in grade school, uh, in one of the National Arts and Culture Day, in, in like in the U.S., kids would learn about the the false narrative of Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know that kind of history, and you know, learn wear a funny hat and you know, and pretend like you're pilgrims or whatever. Uh, in Japan, for me, I remember I'm an inner city kid and they were showing us how to plant rice and I raised my own silkworm. Wow. By the way, they really, they really stink. Yeah. They really stink. God. <laughs> and one of it was, um, bring rags from your house and we'll show you how to make rope, hand make mm. rope, rags. And, and in Japan, they're concerned about fire. So if you make the rope and then when you, if your building is on fire, you can use this to get out and you will rescue your family. Hmm. Wow. You know, like third grade, right? So it's, so I get into the groove of like making, I think I took perfectly fine sheets from home, <laughs> stole it instead of that. And, and I love the motion of the twisting, twisting. I'm doing this for the, the listeners. I'm doing this twisting motion with my hand. Mm-hmm really got into the groove of it, and I kept making this giant coil of rope. Now, to get out of fire in the building, 
Now, uh, we lived on the ground floor. <laughs> I just like the repetitive feel of it. I like the folk craft of it and then the rapping. All right, so then fast forward, I'm in the United States and uh, somehow in college, and again, I didn't know that this was anything people didn't do. My then boyfriend and I were like, tie me up uh, and fuck me, tie you up and fuck you. And so I'm like, cheesy futon in the university co-op and like laundry mm -hmm. line tied to uh, like the brick that was holding up the futon. Mm -hmm. Don't really think about it, but there was something in the back of my mind about the whole imagery of the captured people. Okay. I put it, it was just sex. Then I end up, I, was, I went to Berkeley and then I ended up crossing the bay, end up in San Francisco and start hanging out in the underground cultures and along the way exploring a little more with social environment and kink uh, and I expressed some interest in somebody was showing rope I'm like oh this feels familiar because hand handcraft mm -hmm. is something I grew up with uh, rope and things that are tied I grew up with and then I am liking this tie-up games I'm doing. And there's something in the back of my mind. Like, I somehow remember something, but I can't. It's like trying to remember a dream. Mm -hmm. Like, I quite put a finger on it. And I'm introduced to, I'm introduced to a woman who used to work as a pro, pro sub, then pro dom in Japan years ago, like in the 70s. And she was, she was uh, pro-dom and specializing in rope bondage. Now, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in San Francisco or the West Coast, rope bondage, the hot shit rope tops on the West Coast were women. Okay. It was women were the, the ones that kind of led the way. Now, that's kind of changed ever since uh, it became, quote, professionalized on the Internet, not unlike computer programming. Hmm. However, so I was introduced to her, and around the same time, I'm also looking at all this expensive bondage equipment. I was poor. I'm an artist. I'm still poor. But I'm looking at that going, uh, that's expensive. And my crafty Japanese mind is looking at fancy leather harnesses and, like, reverse engineering it into rope. Because, hmm. again, there's some memory back here. So I'm introduced to the pro-dom and, and I asked if she'd teach me. And it's kind of like a work trade where I, I worked on cleaning her dungeon and stuff like that. And she'd give me some lessons. So kind of old school in that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that'd be and you know, private playing and all that. And this is, God, early 90s. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of rope to as many listeners as possible, and for that we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast, then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of rope and help others discover it too. Or I could give you the version of I was I was a foundling and raised in a Shaolin temple that <laughs> 
maybe let's dig into that and talk about uh, how not to be a culture vampire because obviously you now live in America but you have a Japanese history a Japanese mm-hmm. uh, ancestry and so Shibari we talk about what bondage but obviously mm-hmm. Shibari came back with there's many terms many Japanese Organizations um, of rope bondage. So, how can people in Europe, America, etc., not be culture vampires in Japanese rope bondage? Oh, so many ways. Okay, <laughs> let's start with a fascination with things Japanese, or knowing some small corner of something from Japan does not make one an expert on Japan. Hmm. Much in the way that. If I were to study some French cooking, that doesn't make me the expert on all things French, even if I can make a good cream sauce. And then also understanding that uh, I was talking earlier about culturally specific nostalgia, and culturally specific nostalgia as well gets folded into erotic nostalgia and erotic fantasy, and oftentimes the shadow or the darker fantasies from a culture get absorbed into the kinkier erotic desires. So you can also expand that out to moments of cultural upheaval, historical upheaval, as well as cultural or historical trauma can leave impressions that will color the particular erotic style of ordinary people, which leads to the importance of ordinary people, that rope bondage, as well as cocksucking, as well as fetish wear, as well as what kind of sex toys are considered sex toys, how we kiss, the sounds we make when fucking, this is all culturally determined. Mm -hmm. And people forget that. And it's not only culturally determined, it's the sex ways and sexual strategies of ordinary people. And I know that some people are really invested in the narrative that this is a deep, refined, traditional Japanese art form handed down by rarefied teacher to student. Well, if that were the case, why is it that it's in magazines on every street corner vending machine? That Mm -hmm. makes no sense. Remembering that this is the sexual strategies and sex craft of ordinary people like you know mr and mrs smith enjoying a little fuzzy handcuff bondage also comes from a cultural dark side of cultural history Hmm. police handcuffs and even inappropriate or violent behavior when in police custody is a mark of shame in the American culture, Hmm. police violence, as in a lot of cultures. But the handcuffs would symbolize that authority, and then you make it fuzzy and and consensual in the bedroom, and it's tee-hee-tee-hee. But the sizzle of it comes from the power dynamic. So in Japan, instead of Mr. and Mrs. Smith playing with fuzzy handcuffs or a nurse's outfit, doctor outfit, in Japan, it's Mr. and Mrs. Yamada, a school teacher, an, an IT manager, you know, a couple of kids, and maybe grandma lives with them. And, and once upon a time, they had a hot sex life before the kids were born. Mm-hmm. But now they can rent the love hotel and go and they get to pretend that they are 
you know, samurai lord master and the captured princess or the, the, the queen of the castle and the captured samurai, don't care which way. So sex strategy of ordinary people and how did it get around to ordinary people as well? The entertainment quarters and entertainment professionals, sex workers as well as uh, sexual media. And that could be anywhere from woodblock print dirty pictures to late 19th century um, uh, rope bondage photos that were secretly passed around. It could be pinups that the GIs brought to Japan. Uh, and 1960s and 70s, the golden era of Japanese pornography, where you get all sorts of retro nostalgic bondage, uh, like set in the Meiji Restoration upheaval. So it's ordinary people sex ways and overlapping into sex work and entertainment labor. But that somehow is not as attractive to people because it's not at, um, clean and heroic. Hmm. Doesn't have the same mystique. Mystique, yeah. Yeah, and this is, by denying that, this is how the history of ordinary citizens get erased. Hmm. And history gets written by the lords and ladies of the politicians and the conquerors and the colonizers. So appreciating that this is what, so going back to your question, how not to be a culture of vampire, is understand that there's an equivalent of somebody like you over there putting rope on their sweetie and having a good dirty time. Hmm. In your experience, how common is it for the ordinary people, as you say, in Japan to practice rope bondage in their intimate life or to consume rope bondage-based pornography? Actually, not that common. Hmm. The myth is that, oh my God, that like every Japanese adult is, is engaged in rope bondage. No, in fact, I go over there and I mention rope bondage. They're like, Oh, yeah, I've seen some. It's kind of like hanging out with a bunch of your college friends and you mention the fuzzy handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Like if you hang like 10 of your college friends, two or three of them will go winky winky. <laughs> and others are like, you're weird. <laughs> so it's like that, whereas like the, the rope enthusiasts outside of Japan, this is a sampling bias. If you're interested mm -hmm. in a thing, you're going to find the information. Mm -hmm. And if you go down that rabbit hole, it's going to like reflect like in a hall of mirrors and seems like that's what everyone does. Mm -hmm. But in Japan, it's still something you don't talk about in public mm -hmm. or even with some of your friends. Um, yeah, uh, some people do it. Do a lot of people do it? Probably not. Do a lot of people know about it? Sure, because fuzzy handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I read um, Silk Threads, which is your uh, set of erotic short stories with Laura Antonio and Cecilia Tan. Um, Threads. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, which our readers should go out and buy because they're definitely interested in erotic um, stories containing bondage. That's definitely a thing. They're always popular episodes when we do them. Um, and there are aspects of raw open bondage throughout the, the stories. And I had a really small question, which is the word tengu is used quite a lot within the stories and in a way that I hadn't heard it before. So can you tell us a bit, just as an example of how maybe we're using a word in rope bondage that has a completely different context? 
How is it used in rope bondage? All right. So <laughs> most often the the tangu tie is a label used by in the West for a position, and I'm showing it to Midori, but our listeners won't be able to see it. Where my elbows are by my side and my hands are raised near my shoulders, and I'm kind of like tied like, in this position where my hands are immobilized either side of my shoulders, like I have wings, like tiny wings. Yeah, looking like a baby pterodactyl. Yeah, yeah, baby pterodactyl is a good way to put it. Okay, all right. Um, so, for the listeners, Silk Threads is a three-part erotica that uh, two of my friends and I wrote. It's past, present, and future in Japan. Imagine uh, Northern Exposure, which was a comedy set in Alaska, meets True Blood, but set in Japan. Okay. And so there's this mythical background, and there's the uh, early, early, or uh, no, mid Sengoku era, and the emperor and the the general. In mine, it's a young doctor, city doctor, stuck in a village up in the mountains. And in the future, it's the about to be empress who runs away and pretends like. You know, the prince and the pauper pretends like she's like an ordinary girl. And throughout this whole thing, there's this myth, completely made-up mythology. Okay, good to know. But based on uh, old Japanese myth and folklore. So like like the book American Gods, which I'm not putting my, our book in anywhere near Neil Gaiman's <laughs> level. Maybe a collaboration <laughs> coming up soon. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, in the way that Neil Gaiman took all of these ancient gods, ancient and modern gods, and gave them a new story. And that's what we did. So now, what about the Tengu? Tengu is a mythical beast. And, well, maybe mythical, but maybe if you go up into the northern mountains, it is said that they are still there. So it's worth taking a look. And when walking through the the ancient woods of Japan or in a bamboo forest, you might want to pay attention above and if suddenly a shadow comes over you and you think it's a large crow and it keeps getting bigger and it lands in front of you and it appears to be a man with wings dressed in a yamabushi, a mountain priest outfit and apparently there's certain regional and species variations there is the red-faced tengu and the crow head tengu the red-faced tengu have red face and long long nose and bushy eyebrow and big long nose now there's some japanese porn where the tengu mask is worn and used as a way to insert into fine, moist places. Mm. Oh. So, so that would be the red-faced tengu. Uh, and again, wings and arms, human arms, and usually will have um, uh, raptor bird-like legs, and again, dressed as a mountain priest. Okay. The crow-headed ones have the crow's wing, uh, human arms, uh, crow legs, and the the head and the face is that of a raven, also dressed as a mountain warrior priest. Um, and it is this is my 
entirely amateur speculation that the Tengu may be a derivative of Garuda, mm. which would be the South Asian, I'm doing the bird symbol, <laughs> some bird-headed supernatural creature. So there's there's a lot of things that came over from India that like changed a bit, but I could see how the Tengu, at least that one, might be the uh, might be the Garuda. Now, as for the long-nosed, red-faced ones, oftentimes speculated that oh, that must be like Gaijing, because big noses of white people. I'm showing Midori my very large French nose right now. <laughs> Beautiful line of nose there. Now, Russians have been coming down into the Northern Islands long before Commodore Perry made their non-consensual rude entry into Japan. That was not consensual. Uh, but the Russians were coming down, and when you think about Russian features, well, maybe that was Tengu too, because the big nose, bushy eyebrow, maybe. Uh, and every culture has tales of chimeras and little people and giants at night. So Tengu is this mythic beast. And one of my main characters is a, comes from a mixed heritage human Tengu line. He's a bit of a dork, but he's very good looking. <laughs> and my mythology, uh, the mixed blood, the human uh, Tengu hybrids can uh, become their Tengu selves through highly practiced tantric orgasm control, which makes for a nice excuse to have like a hot sex, sex scenes. Much sexy times, yeah. definitely. And yeah. in the, um, I don't know if uh, in the Cecilia Tan story, there is a character who learns the secret martial art of rope. Um, as a um, martial art, and then practices it on his partner. So how does that fit in? There is actually a method of military method of restraining prisoners as practiced by soldiers, and that that's still practiced by various uh, different martial arts. And until recently, I think, and I, I don't know the year. Sometime in late 20th century. For some of you all listening, that's ancient history. I know. <laughs> shut up. Um, sometime in the late, up until sometime in the late 20th century, the Japanese National Police and the De Japanese National Defense Force had a part of their study that included restraining prisoners, non-consensual restraining prisoners using rope. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, it is a thing in that, but it is not the direct ancestor uh, in in what we do in the way that people romanticize it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, in the martial arts sense, and it does exist. But here's the thing for uh, folks who teach that in terms of uh, defense and combat arts, they don't like this to be compared to sex things. Yeah. Not unlike the in the U.S., there are there's something called the Western arts, meaning the cowboy arts. There's competitive, along with rodeo and all that. There's competitive single tail and bullwhip mm -hmm. skills, like you know, like uh, uh, flicking a lit candle with your ten foot bullwhip and 
competitions around that. But if those people find out that the whip, and so they'll be using their bull whips and horses and cows and stuff like that. But if they find out that it's being used on people, oh no, you're a weirdo. Mm, crossing a line. Crossing a line. But they'll use it on non-consenting four-legged animals, but consenting humans. <laughs> yeah. They're freaked out about the sexual association. Mm. So, uh, so Cecilia went in that direction. Our super interesting conversation with Midori was a bit too long to fit in a single episode, so find the rest of it in the next episode of the Rope Podcast. Thanks for listening! And have fun tying! <laughs>